This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You are listening to episode 99. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me. Shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I'll be sharing with you my live panel from the Microcap Rodeo 2019 in Austin, Texas. Joining me on this panel is Maj Sway Don from geoinvesting.com, Sam Namiri of Ridgewood Investments, and Chris Lahiji of LD Micro. In this edition of the live panel, we discussed a number of current events that could affect the Microcap ecosystem, including SEC proposals, global factors that may affect Microcaps, WeWork, FailPO, Charles Schwab, and other brokerage houses ending commissions on stock trading, discuss how to tell if companies are lying, and more. I would like to thank Maj, Chris, and Sam for joining me on this panel, as well as the issuer direct team, Evan, Wiley, and Rod, for all their hospitality and hosting us at the Microcap Rodeo 2019. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 99 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy this Planet Microcap podcast live in Austin, Texas. Hi everyone, Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap podcast. As some of you may know, when I'm not interviewing folks for the podcast, I also host CEO video interviews and Wall Street views with investing experts for SNN's YouTube channel, SNN Network. I wanted to take a moment to invite you all to subscribe to the SNN Network YouTube channel. As a subscriber, you'll be the first to be notified when we publish a new CEO video interview with microcap management teams, a new Wall Street View video interview with investing experts, panels and keynote presentations from our conferences, as well as new and archived podcast interviews. Go to www.youtube.com backslash SNNWire and click the subscribe button. Again, that's www.youtube.com youtube.com backslash snn wire and click subscribe thank you for subscribing and for your continued support i'd like to welcome everybody to this planet microcap podcast live in austin i'd really love to thank the hosts of this event uh wiley rod evan and the entire issuer direct team for helping making this all possible uh, as well as for uh, helping with recording of this so we do thank everybody uh, for having us here and doing this today and now I, yes. And so I'd also like to now introduce our podcast panel. And uh, you probably recognize these three gentlemen as they're the three who I've interviewed probably the most, both on the Great. podcast and yeah. also in video interviews. <laughs> so I promise you, we have no the rapport whatsoever. Maria <laughs> 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 
So, no 60 minutes. The two o'clock in the morning call. Yeah. So, as you probably guessed, uh, here are our guests here. First, I'd like to introduce Sam Namiri from Ridgewood Investments. You stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> we got we got Chris Lahiji from LD Micro. That's fine, baby. Hey, thanks a lot to that guy who didn't clap for me, dude. <laughs> and we got and we got Maj Swaydon from GeoInvesting.com. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So, like we always do with every podcast and live event, we want to start with everyone's background and, and how you got to where you're at today. Let's keep it brief, you know what I'm saying? Sam, we're starting with you. I'll keep it brief. Um, I founded a jewelry company while I was in college at Berkeley. Um, so I have, unlike most people who sit on this side of the table typically, I have operating experience running a real business. Yeah, operating um, a shitty business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you learn a lot operating a shitty business. Um, and then I went to business school and joined a small cap hedge fund out in New York City. And now I run Ridgewood's small and micro cap portfolio. Cool. The basics. And I gotta Chris. say, he's a very capable, intelligent man. I mean, that's the only truth that you'll hear from me today. Wow. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Chris. I, it was so hard. It was so hard saying. Well, I'm glad you got like that. I'm glad you got that out of the way. <laughs> so look, I mean, I think uh, Austin is a bittersweet place for me because my destiny was to go to the University of Texas at Austin. I'm originally from Fort Worth, Texas. I love the state. Um, it's just. You know, the, what's painful is that if I actually went to UT, I would be a very successful entrepreneur and wouldn't be stuck in microcap purgatory. So it's, uh, it's kind of sad. I'm going to go to campus later in the evening and just cry a, a tear or two. But for me, uh, I've always had this incredible love, passion, adornment for small companies. Uh, I've always been fascinated by the fact that someone can own, you know, just one or two shares and still be a part owner in a business. Uh, and, I, and I really, for whatever reason, found that uh, I loved really focusing on companies that were small that had the potential of becoming a lot larger. So that's why I'm seated at this table today, and I'm honored to be here. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Maj? Thanks, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome, <Bob>. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, my, my story isn't quite as uh, awesome. I mean, just just been an investor, really, um, pretty much all my life. Um, you know, my dad really got me into investing when I was uh, uh, he was back maybe like in the uh, mid-80s. I saw you see him investing all the time and kind of get interested in it. I watched um, some of the stock reports with him. And um, 11th grade, I played a little, uh, little investment contest, lost all my money, fake money, and so this is where I got to go. <laughs> and, um, and let's say, Maj, <laughs> Maj, this is very important to, to mention. At your last session in Vegas, mm -hmm. I think that was back in April, yeah. you picked a stock that actually has gone up. Is, no, actually, more than one. I said, yeah. more, Wait, more, more. <laughs> I don't know what the color green looks like, but this guy was spot on. It was, it was RUPR, right? And RWBI. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. right. And for full disclosure, are we still shareholders in the Yes. Okay. Yes, I am. It's all good. All right. So, moving on real quick. I, you know, we've done obviously we've done a lot of interviews. I, some of our audience knows your investing style, but briefly, what's you know your investment philosophy? And very briefly, as to you know what you look for in a potential new investment. Maj, I'm gonna come right back to you. Yeah, well, you know, that's not, I don't, I don't. That's a tough question. You know, you, you get it all the time. You think, well, how do you answer that question? But I'm pretty agnostic. I look at things as scenarios, and I'll invest in anything from the typical, I guess, undervalued clean company, mm 
to really, you know, fun, speculative turnaround plays, special situation plays. I think it's all about developing, all, as you go through investing, you know, developing a journal of scenarios so you recognize them and not pitching yourself, pigeonholing yourself into one scenario. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes ugly is awesome, you know, ugly turning beautiful if you can figure that out, which is great. And as markets become more efficient, I found that actually to be a real enjoyable part of what, what I try and do mm -hmm. is find those stocks everyone's ignoring right now that they will love maybe in two, three, four, five years. 50 years, I don't know. That is, <laughs> that is a tried and true microcap investor right there. Chris? You know, I think my set of bets, I think with the way we look at it is on a case-by-case -case basis, mm -hmm. we tend to be focused more on deep value than growth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we really like to focus on areas that we have had historical success. So special mm -hmm. situations, uh, broad-based insider buying, and just buying things that have been completely discarded for all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, I've lost a lot of money kind of leaving, uh, leaving that behind. But um, you know, my my general take is you want to look at things on you know on a, on a company by company basis. Cool. I was going to say, even though you didn't go to UT, I think you got your degree plenty with all the money you oh, might dude, lost I have in that case. Oh, dude, I losing money. That's the, that's the best education right there. Yeah. <laughs> Except for money losing. Yeah. And Sam, your investment style? I like to buy good businesses that attract evaluations. And um, you know, everyone says they're long-term investors. And I think it's easier said than done. But I typically look out at least, like, so usually an 18 to 24-month time horizon. Yeah, mine is long-term is three to six weeks. Actually, 13 years. <laughs> yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad that came up. <laughs> <laughs> So, in 2019, there's been uh, some interesting news that that could affect microcaps. You know, from from the SEC new risk factor emission proposal to Nasdaq's new uh, uh, listing standard proposals. You know, I wanted to get some of your thoughts on on these structural proposals that are out there. You know, Maj, I know you've been covering this quite a bit on geo investing. So let's start with you. What can you kind of go over? You know, what some of these proposals are are discussing? Yeah, I think well with, with the SEC, I th um, this came out recently. I think, and Chris, you probably saw this. Oh, yeah. So it's, you know, it's funny. You know, the um, the SEC is trying to make it easier for companies or more affordable for companies to to list and. Mm -hmm. And, and, and make it easier to go through the filing process. And part of that is basically kind of making it, um, giving, more, giving management more latitude mm -hmm. in some of the risk factors that they um, disclose in their filings. I thought that was really weird. And um, because of where, how much more, I, I, in my opinion, and I think how much fraud there is out there, manipulation has been in the last several years, since 2008. Um, and one of the things I thought was interesting so there, there was that they have this statement where they say, okay, well, they're changing it from, the statement is from uh, something like um, meaningful to material. If, 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 me, if, if the risk factor is meanly significant, that, I think that was the actual kind of bar now. Now it's, if it's material, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and these, it, just, it just becomes, again, what, what regulatory authorities are doing is just making it obscure and kind of, kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And so I know from my personal investing experience that the risk factors are where I find a lot of the dirt. Mm -hmm. And from eventually being on the short side for a little bit, yeah, we're actually publishing a report tomorrow, by the way, based on risk factors. Right. And I would hate to see um, investors get hurt, retail investors get hurt, and, and even you know, institutional investors not understanding the company 
of risk factors. So they're basically, the, the SEC proposal is basically saying that management teams don't have to include as many risk factors that they previously were? Well, yeah, it's, 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 a, it was, it's unclear. It's unclear. You know, okay. maybe they're going to define what is boilerplate. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, the SEC stand on it is they think they'll get better disclosures. Mm. So I'm, you know, maybe, maybe I'm overreacting to it. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll have more on it. Mm -hmm. But um, so I'm curious, brother, because uh, I got a lot of email on this this weekend. How many people are for it, and how many people are against it? Or do we have a consensus on this? We don't have a consensus. I don't think it's. I think it's still. It's still looking at early stage. I mean, I have the. I have the thing right here. Let me see. Well, here's here's my here's my uh, yeah, piece of insight. And this is one of the few things where I still don't know which way I'm, I'm leaning. Mm -hmm. Okay, because the all the information is still not out, and I, reading is just so. 20th century. <laughs> I like to make instinctual moves. Hold on, I'm going to give you a marker for that. Hold on. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so reading is for, for people. Yeah, for people. Yeah. But, but look, just let's, let's, let's look at the microcap universe. So mm -hmm. LD Micro tracks the entire North American universe. There's 12,000 companies. Mm -hmm. Okay, There's 12,300 something. How many of these do you think do not report? Or let's make it more... Make it more eloquent. Do not give a shit mm -hmm. <laughs> in letting people know how the business is, who the shareholders are, what the board decides. It's an overwhelming majority. So it's just like the solar system, you know, where there's a star and a planet here, here, here and there, but for the most part, it's just basically darkness. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether this is meant to address all that dark matter or darkness, if you will. But like most things that the SEC does, right. you know, there's always this, this uh, varying degree of like grayness where it's like everything is subject to interpretation. But what I do know is that this, this, whatever this rule change is, has caused a lot of investors that literally come out of their shells once every 10 to 12 years. Like people like really like the quiet investors that you don't hear anything about like, this is an outrage, you know? It's like, I've been living in my cave for 10, 15 years with peace, and now you're taking, you know, the, the five or six nuts that I've been able to assemble <laughs> or accumulate. Wait, Chris, are you talking about that proposal, or are you also talking about the one to halt the trading of all dark stocks? Or which, which one? Oh, yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's, no, well, like, that, I just published a video about right. that today. I'm talking, I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about the collective. Yeah. So, so what, what, what I think the SEC is trying to do is they're trying to shed light on the fact that there are 80% of the companies in microcap, maybe even greater, you don't even know what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. So what is, the, what is the point of existence? And uh, <laughs> according to some, including someone that's very close to me, this is a bad step in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we can all agree probably that the SEC has the best intentions in mind here, you know, trying to get rid of fraud and, and, and right Total, yeah. I, I think we can all probably agree on that but at the same time it's it's always that you know all right well what's the right way to do this you know how, how do you verify the ones that are you know real businesses versus the ones that are just shells I just feel that in the end anything that makes it harder for an investor to deploy capital mm -hmm. is net negative Right. I mean, when they say this, Chris, I mean, they should result in improved disclosure and elimination of necessary costs and burdens. How is? What do you think? I I think what do you think they're thinking? What, that's the exact antithesis of what they're proposing. Does any, like, I mean, I want to be your friend, and I'm stealing your phone. <laughs> okay, that doesn't sound like a, a uh, on this, of friendship to me. Right. So, but look again. I'm assuming, and I'm hoping that this is not like one of these things where it's like we're going to turn off the lights in five minutes. Okay. <laughs> 
and then in five minutes we just show up. But I hope that this is that they will allow some some extra time to kind of figure out and maybe clarify their position a little bit better. Right. So Sam, I I, I also want to get your opinion on this. You know, you kind of you've read some of these proposals as well. You know, what yeah. what do you think? I mean, what, how would this affect your you and your investment philosophy? Um, I don't think it would affect my investment, but it's kind of like what is the outcome of all this stuff happening? Mm -hmm. And I mean, the other trend that's been going on is a lot of brokerage houses aren't letting you trade microcaps yeah, they as they would tell they us, used yeah. to. And I think yeah. this could snowball into making it even more risky for brokerages to do that if there is more fraud mm -hmm. and thus even less access. So they're effectively making more companies, I think an unintended consequence is more companies going private in a situation mm -hmm. small than, than the affect what they're actually trying to do with this proposal, right? Which is or they might do nothing. I mean, if, do yeah, they have but, to even but, go private if the but if more but more and more more and more it's harder and yeah. harder to like actually like own micro cap stocks and the risk level again, like I, I think the bigger issue here is that if you invest in a private company, you're stuck. You have no liquidity. If you don't need money for anything else, you can't go and force them to sell your shares, you know, or get out. And so a lot of people have been kind of jaded by the private valuations that have gone on in the last like decade or so, whereas you don't need to be public as a company, mm -hmm. but as an investor, like you don't think about like, oh, I, I, I have the money now to invest, but what if like a year later, something happens in my life and I need to take that money out? Mm -hmm. And so that's the huge benefit of public, co public company investing that, you know, Again, it's liquid. That's a, yeah, it's or liquid, it's right? Supposed and, to be liquid. And, and so you, so you want to have that. At least you have some liquidity. Even microcaps have less liquidity, but you have some. If you're patient right. to some degree, like if you have a few months, depending on the stock, you know you can get out of pretty decent sized position. So, yeah. I mean, do you, do you think really it comes down to just uh, this is not a question we talked about on the call, so I'm throwing this out there. But as a follow up to that, I mean, maybe it just is required to maybe ask actually ask the question. Should we relook at the definition of penny stock or microcap? Because that could possibly change it up. I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I, I Who knows? Maybe <laughs> Chris. <laughs> I mean, penny stock has I mean, this just negative a, connotation to it. I, 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 you're you're four dollars and fifty cents. You're penny stock. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way: I got invited to like this really high-end party. I couldn't even believe it. Like all the power for the East Bay. Really successful people, good-looking people. Nothing that I would have in common with. Okay? And literally, this was like the most bone dry crowd ever. And one of them asked what I do for a living. And the guy said, oh, Chris is a penny stock peddler. <laughs> and that was the biggest joke of the night. You had 80 year old women that looked like Queen Elizabeth going like, ha 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 ha. It was terrible. So look, I mean, I, we had. We had a panel saying who is trying to kill a microcap. Someone is, and they're really good. Look, I read this. Look at this. An SEC spokeswoman declined to provide a breakdown of the commission's vote to propose the rule change. Aren't they the US government? Shouldn't things be as transparent as possible? I just have a feeling that, look, everyone talks about small business again, and small companies, public, private, whatever. And yet nothing really happens to incentivize people to either build them or invest in them. Mm -hmm. And this is another one where I think it's I think it's a toss up because we don't know exactly how this is gonna be implemented, but it just doesn't smell good. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I go to a if I'm thinking about going into a restaurant and it smells bad, about eighty percent of my decisions are made, <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm going to a safe choice. I'm going to McDonald's. <laughs> hey, but but realistically, like you mentioned earlier, like who actually reads this? 
Right? Maj does. Maj does. Maj does. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of us does. I generally go through it, but again, most investors in microcap land don't read it. So the fact that you have those risk disclosures in there, like, I don't know, protect, Look, protects I'm the company just in case all these things happen. So it kind of allows them like leeway to do. Brother, if I'm leaving for something, I say don't change it. Just leave it as is. Mm -hmm. Let's come back to the it's discussion it's board and, and see if there's a way that, again, you can, I have, listen, I think the SEC is doing an admirable job uh, fighting fraud and malfeasance and things like that. There is a definite purpose for this, for this government entity, 100%. But I also feel like they don't really understand, you know, the vibrancy of microcap as well. The fact that there is a, a universe, there's a planet like ours, where people genuinely want to invest and make these small companies bigger. Mm -hmm. They have to see both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. Because think about this. All they're doing is they're looking at like, they're investigating bad people. But no good deed ever gets amplified. So I just have this weird inclination that they should, I think they should have more of an outreach mm -hmm. towards guys like, like Maj and Sam who do this for a living. Mm -hmm. I think the level of insight that these guys can provide is, is significantly greater. So again, it's just, I, I don't know all the, all the, uh, all the specifics, but mm -hmm. I just feel like they should just kind of leave it as is until there's more clarity on what this will, what the ramifications of this are in the years ahead. I think you made a great point. They, I don't think they understand what we do. They don't understand the market we play in over here. Or maybe in general. You know, when you look at things from, you know, um, making money from their point of view, you know, have, collecting fees and these kind of things, you don't, and you don't look at it from how, how we invest and how an investor, you know, invests. Um, they don't think that there's anyone crazy enough to do what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it is, like, it, but, Bosh, you're 100% correct. I think it would be, and I think they're doing it too. They're doing more outreach, and mm -hmm. there's several people that we're close with that they've already invited, and they're giving and they're giving them their their truth, their god honest opinions. But again, something like this, and what's weird about it, just comes out of nowhere. I know where like, what, what ultimately? It's like yes, we need to fight crime and malfeasance and financial services. Oh yeah, let's look at that <laughs> old arcane law that really impact companies that this, you know, this, don't really it, I mean, buy. it goes from roundtable to what? proposal I mean, very that, quickly. And then the, they the, don't disclose the, they don't disclose the vote, yeah. so you don't know who was for it and against it. Yeah. So again, it's, it's, it's one of those great moves where it's mm -hmm. like, Chris, we don't want to come to the conference. How come? Because it was a board level decision. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to substantiate that. So that they, look, if you're going to do right. something, at least give us some insight as to what it, what, who's voting for it and what their reason was. I just have a weird way that these things are done mm -hmm. in a way where whatever the vote is, that's that, and there's no rebuttal. Right. And to be fair, they haven't singled out my caps in this thing. They're just making it in general. But right. I mean, this, this to me thinks a situation like the NASDAQ, the, S, the uh, regulators, they know that we have a problem right now with, with quality companies coming public or en enough companies coming public. Mm -hmm. And this is just one way to make it easier for that to happen potentially. Which isn't, the, which isn't the best thing for investors, maybe. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then that's what, the, that's what this thinks of to me, or, or, setting, or sounds like. new guidelines. Right. I'm, I, I'm actually somewhat okay with it, uh, looking, like, thinking about it a little bit more. I, I, th I think that if you put a disclosure in a document, it, it doesn't really matter whether someone's going to do something unethical or, or wrong, in my opinion. And if it makes it cheaper for companies to be public, which I don't know if it necessarily does, but if it can, 
I'm all for it. Have more public. I think Sam is wired. Maj, let, <laughs> you know, let, me, let me let me give you one example here, and okay. maybe you see you still agree with this. So, um, you know, for a period of time, geo investing was very um, uh, proficient in shorting China fraud and writing reports about that. And a lot of the stuff we found was buried in the risk factors. And this is this. There was one instance where. One of the companies that we came across and we um, ex exposed, which was eventually delisted and eventually, um, I think, I'm not sure if they're still trading at all. But, um, you know, there was a risk factor in the report. We caught the very last second of the report. We, you know, we did all our on the ground due diligence in China. We found out there was, there was, there was, there was lying. It was about an acquisition. The company um, is a, a chicken farmer, mm -hmm. U.E. International. Remember them? Wow. You, why? 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 Are we the still largest? Watch real quick for full disclosure. Are no we? No way in hell he's still. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I, no. I wish I did because it's like. Just like, like I'm a yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it <laughs> so we were trying to prove that the um, the money um, he, they, they, the company had claimed to acquire this chicken farm in China with mm -hmm. uh, really didn't go to do that, and we had proved that with all this on the ground due diligence. Mm -hmm. But then we put it all together by actually, it was a risk factor, basically saying that. Yeah, once in a while, uh, the, 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 <laughs> the chairman will take money from the company's account, put it in his own bank account. Yeah. Oh, just that's a pretty significant risk factor. I, mean, I can't believe they put it in there, and I can't believe even yeah. the, the, uh, the Grant, Grant yeah, Thornton let it happen. Why does micro exist? Do you my, wanna, do you, my, my, my point is he would have done that anyway, whether it was in the risk right, factor exactly. or not. And you found it out. You, you, they were just yeah. well, honorable thieves. He was doing it because he had to, probably. Mm. You know, and, and, and the way that was explained in the report, in the, in the, in the final was, well, this, this is, the, is it material or not? Everybody in China, we, um, we, we, do, this, we, do, this, we do this a lot. So if the SEC said, okay, you don't have to put material things, then maybe, oh, this is the material. Because cause everyone, this is, how we, this is how we operate in China. Mm. You know, and that's just one example of a, a, a situation. Oh, what if you don't have your license? You know, or what if you, um, which, which a lot of these companies don't have. Why uh, can't we just have a Kickstarter for stocks? And, and, it, and it's usually like China. Isn't that I don't know if, I don't know if US plus, companies. I think. <laughs> if it's a good yeah. idea, no one buys any stocks. He makes okay. a good. If, it, if it's a good idea, you set, you set a market. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, wasn't that Reggae Plus? And I'm not uh, uh, yeah, half jesting, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem with Reggae Plus is all the companies that ultimately went Reggae Plus, none of them actually made money for investors. No, no. What do I always tell you guys? The greatest thing that can happen in this business is massive winners. Okay? And there hasn't been money. There hasn't. So look, I just, again, I just don't feel like this is, I personally have much ado about nothing at this point, but I still really want to see what was the cause and effect of them changing well, this. Well, let me tell you, in, in, in that example, Maj, that's, that's, you bring that up because... And that, was, you, and that was China too, by the way. It was a right. China, yeah. Well, well, I guess my question would be like, if you hadn't found that risk factor, and let's say you, it met all your criteria as a potential long investment, would I mean would that risk factor basically resulted in a loss if if ultimately if that because I'm imagine I, I don't know the company so. but I would assume that the company's not around anymore. Yeah, we still that was that was I think in the end it ended up being the overriding factor. We, yeah. To, for the for the SEC realized to believe what we because they actually made it on the on the conference call. Oh, I see. And then they halted the stock right away. Were there actually chickens on this farm? <laughs> oh, they had, oh, they went public. They they were legit. <laughs> and when they when they when they when they when they, when they first came, they had check. We had a, we had a we had a guy, our guy take a taxi to the place. I was this is real funny about it. I'll let, let it go. Our investigator in China. He gets in he gets in the taxi cab, right? He's on his way to this freaking village, and it just so happens to be that the, the, the driver of the taxi cab knew 
uh, or was related to the company that Yui said they had bought. And he goes, no, they, they, never, they never bought that company. <laughs> he goes, that was, we, made a, you know, we made a U-turn and go to the other place, other, to talk to, talk to the, guy, the guy they said he acquired. Now, we, they never, they're going back or they never. He, he, they came to us. They asked us to go along with this little ruse, you know, yeah. to say we did it. And so that's, that was how well, that actually happened. Why is it that taxi drivers always, you know, give the information to the best, <laughs> yeah. the best short? But to your point, I, to your point, Uber I, drivers. I think, I think, I think management teams, like honest management teams will, will do a good job of, um, you know, disclosing what they have to disclose. It just comes down to that. And I think in the U.S., I'm, I'm actually surprised at the amount of, risk factors a lot of companies do put out there. So, uh, you know, I think it's a little overboard for us to assume that a lot of these companies are going to intentionally leave things out. Mm -hmm. I just think what it does, it just makes it a fertile ground for those that would do that, that would be fraudulent, to do that maybe. But that, in, in that situation, that's fraudulent to me, whether there's a risk factor or not. Mm. Right? Correct. So like, like if you invest in a private business, if, the, if one of the owners goes and takes money out of the business and puts it in a bank account. 100%. That's, that's like, you, 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 like he's going to do it anyway. If he's going to do it, he's yeah, going to do it, yeah. right? Like you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, that's part of like when I visit companies and I talk to them, I talk to them. So how does the money flow? Who has control over, you know, like once you get a dollar of revenue in the business, you know, who has control over the accounts? You know, like who actually can make big sales? You know, who can, who can authorize large sales of a company? No, but, now you're, but, now you're, but now you're giving a choice, though, kind of thing, right? It's a little, it's a, I think it's a little... Yeah, I love the, but, but, but I mean, that helps you weed out, like, the, like you, you're, when you're on the ground in China, like, doing research, that helps you weed things out, regardless of whatever they file their risk factors. Sure. Really yeah, yeah, you want to go beyond that, obviously. Yeah, the the band yeah. should be seated next to me. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. So I actually want to change topics real quick because this is something oh, that. Thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> what about the Nasdaq? Listen, I know we can do a whole podcast <laughs> on, on China and, and, and Nasdaq proposals, but you know, um, about a couple weeks ago, Planet Money just came out with an episode talking about the uh, the WeWork. I call it the fail PO. Oh my God! And really and have to go this? oh, we're going through it. <laughs> And for full disclosure, I do not own any shares in WeWork, and I'm assuming... Yeah, because if you did, I would force you to sell it right now. Back to SoftBank. So, actually, so, and, and really with this whole debacle, you know, and, and how SoftBank basically created an infrastructure for private companies really to stay private longer, you know, and, and having less of a need to go to the public markets to raise capital. You know, so I really want to get everyone's take on this and, and what happened here and, and just... You know, wh why does this keep happening? Why does Silicon Valley keep thinking that, you know, you want to just put ungodly amounts of money in some of these companies that ultimately don't have a proven business model? Well, look what happened in 2000 with all those dot-com piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's the same thing. It's a, you can take a, look, for, let's, let, let's start with WeWork. And I may be a moron. It's quite possible that I am. Okay? <laughs> I still don't know what they do. And I still don't know how they make money. Okay, so there should be a red flag right there. Okay, for the tenth time, what does WeWork do? Oh, okay. They sub they sublease office space. Yeah, that they don't. Yeah. <laughs> and what they do is pretty simple. How they make money? There it is. That's there that's is. the hard part. You know? That's the one. That's the one. Okay, yeah. No, no. Listen, let me. Uh, I don't know how this would make you any money. Okay, that's more articulate. Okay, I. I, I, I really, I think the, the model is flawed, okay? But then again, this is what happens mm. when someone takes an idea and puts so much hype and hysteria behind it. Mm -hmm. You have something like this. Uber's the same thing. You can't convince me that Uber can make massive money mathematically based off the structure it has right now. You cannot convince they me. They can't. They cannot. Yeah. Well, let me, let me. Okay? But 
is still mm -hmm. worth 50 billion dollars. So this was just one of those things where there is just so much yeah. smoke and debris. They're like, you know what, maybe we'll just back off a little bit. Masayoshi son, man, the guy's like, dude, Alibaba, that is the dream of dreams, okay? He can afford to play with house money. Mm -hmm. This is just about saving face right now. Yep. So he thought he was gonna, you know, he was gonna get, you know, my, my, my name tag is stuck to the chair. <laughs> this is great, it probably has a compass inside too. But, but the consensus is that I think it was too little, too late. Well let, well, let me, the main reason I really asked this, because for me, I saw this as a potential catalyst for better quality companies to go public early. Let me, bear with me on this. I know you're making a face. I, bear with me on this one. My thinking is, is that because there's been these uh, private equity firms willing to put so much money at these crazy valuations while these companies are so early in their stage and driving up the valuation, they don't have a need really to go to public markets to raise capital. So if we keep seeing deals like this just kind of fall through and there's really no exit because once they do go to the public market, it doesn't fulfill that valuation. I mean, is there now a potential that more of these better quality businesses might go public earlier than, you know, the, it might be a stretch. It's only because we talk so much about how much we want better quality businesses to go public earlier and be microcaps and be those big monsters that we want. But I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? Sam? Yeah. Uh, I think it helps. For sure, it helps definitely, and like it's kind of the kiss of death in venture capital when one of your portfolio companies has a down round. Mm -hmm. So I've actually, I can think of one off the top of my head, a company recently that a, a public company that acquired a private company that was about to have a down round, mm -hmm. and so they were like, "Nope, this is our exit. Let's get out." You know, by not IPOing, but by being acquired by a public company. So, um, but I think bigger picture of why these companies are why these you know, venture capital firms are paying so much in these huge valuations is mm -hmm. kind of like what Chris said earlier. It's like the best thing that can happen to microcaps are to have big winners. Mm -hmm. And there have been big winners here. Mm -hmm. So when you see the Facebooks and Googles of the past or whatever, you know, that have been big winners, you know, these other VCs, this becomes a herd mentality, right? Where it's like, we mm -hmm. want to be, we want to find the next big winner and we're going to, you know, be in it until the IPO is when it hits a $50 billion right. And the media yeah. hypes it up. That's the only oh. thing financial news media talks about is all mm -hmm. these hot companies because they want to have something to discuss. Mm -hmm. But I think, it is I think it's going to be a very painful lesson for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just bad money chasing bad. It really is, yeah. And look, it's, well, look, it's like it's the musical chair. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as it's there, they're going to keep doing it. But yeah. I, think, I think that WeWork is probably going to be kind of that staking ground. Yeah. Where it's like you have to you pass see the that, paradigm yeah, shift. You yeah. have to pass the sniff test. A lot of people yeah. like to shit on Zoom. Zoom is a real business. It's growing uh, to almost triple digits. Mm -hmm. It's profitable. Okay, it's not their responsibility that the company's worth twenty-five billion bucks, but at least it's an investable idea. I, I don't. I don't Chris, see a lot of that. Coming. Full disclosure. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> dude. I mean, it's twenty-six billion dollars for expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but that's that's the thing. I mean, right. there will be IPOs, and there will be. Look at Inmode, and for full disclosure purposes, INMD. Mm -hmm. That's a company that I own. Israeli uh, company? Yeah, Israeli company. Uh, based out of Irvine. They're North American quarters. Profitable, mm -hmm. growing in the market segment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very happy customers, both on, on the clientele side and, and the people that use it. Stock came public at 15, 60 bucks a share, and no one cared, okay? Went up to 30. Mm -hmm. Because people saw the writing on the wall. It was a real business that was growing and was very profitable. So, like I said, I think there's going to be less WeWorks down the road, and it's going to hurt the media from having something to talk about, but I think it's going to be better as a collective whole as an investor, because you'll have things that you can actually make money in. Mm -hmm. 
Maj, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with everything you say. I think to the extent that you have less money chasing these WeWorks and these, and these, these pie in the sky kind of dreams, you'll have more money available maybe to go and if, 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 if money starts going back into these higher quality companies, maybe we'll start seeing, and because that will start working again, mm -hmm. and the WeWorks won't, you know, the market will take us, maybe bring back some quality. That's, I guess that makes sense. Um, just one comment that I see a lot in microcap companies, I see similarities in WeWork, is that WeWork gets grouped in as like a technology company. Mm -hmm. And I see microcap companies a lot that think like they should get valued like a technology company, but mm -hmm. they're not truly a technology company. LG is a technology <laughs> company. <laughs> Come on. So like, uh, also I just want to say full disclosure, I do not own Uber. You mentioned that. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, you know, uh, another big point that came out of this, this podcast episode that was talking about the debacle also as well was the power of founder CEO versus the investor and how there was that paradigm shift where these founder CEOs could kind of just, because there's the SoftBanks out there, they could really just name how much they need and then SoftBank will give them 10x, whatever that is, right? You know, so with this, could this be that paradigm shift where you're seeing now the power going back to the investor where investors are saying like, listen, we want profitable businesses. You're not a, pro you know what I mean? I think super voting shares are such bullshit, okay? <laughs> to give the guys in control full power as to, as to making the final decision. Don't go public if you have super voting shares, okay? Because you're nev it's never gonna be an equal playing field. I don't care what you tell me. It's like, we're, we're in unison. The investors and the, and the executives are all the same, but no, you're not. Yeah. So, I mean, and look, the reason why they're super voting shares is because they can get away with it, because the investment banks see there's so much money that could be made on these deals. Like, you could have, you could, you could have, those, you could have those shares, we don't care. We just want to do the deal because I want a $10 billion bonus at the, at, the end of the, at the end of Q4. Right. So hopefully that will change. But again, to the really, really popular companies, uh, like let's say, for example, In-N-Out Burger, if they wanted to go public, I'm pretty sure they can get away with super voting shares for the family. Mm -hmm. you know? but, I, it, but in terms of doing it, I don't think it's a good idea long term. Got it. And for full disclosure, In-N-Out? Full disclosure, I would <laughs> love to own In-N-Out Burger. I would love to own it. Not just the whole business. I, I would personally. I would, I would love to own, I would just love to own an In-N-Out Burger. Just one, just one location. Burgers. One location. I don't think I ever have to do this again. Uh, what other happy companies did I talk about? Uh, you, you mentioned them all. You're good. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll give my girl full disclosure purposes. I don't share this. <laughs> all right. So I full actually Full disclosure, I'm short. I'll leave yeah. my girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably a more profitable trade. <laughs> all right. So I want to get to, the, to our next topic here and that has to do with uh, the news about Charles Schwab and other online brokerage houses ending commissions on stock trading Girl. you know so this is a big hot button topic Girl, boy. but you know the thing is this is actually not new I mean Robin Hood's been around for a while you know uh, so what, what do you guys think I mean how does this affect both sides both the retail investor and then also now these businesses built on I'm gonna, let the, I'm gonna let these guys take over. No, well, I'm going to Mosh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for letting us take over, Chris. I'll pass you the baton. Bobby's the boss. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, what, repeat. What's what's what actually is the question? Oh, oh, so the question is, you know, how do, how what would you say this new trend that you're seeing from these brokerage houses? How do you think it's going to affect both the retail investor and also, you know, these just these businesses in general? Well, I think it just it, it, it basically promotes, I think, short-term amazing, more more trading, mm -hmm. which um, is where this market's been going anyway for the last you know several years. So I, 
hey, if you're a good trader and you, this, this, this one makes you want to trade more and, it, um, and you're good at it, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I think it, does, it definitely takes away a little bit from the purity of investing. Yeah. Um, I know, like I, I have friends that never invested before. They got a, oh, you hear this Robin Hood? I got Robin Hood, I'm buying, just buying stocks. And they have no idea what they're buying. Right. Because they can do, they can do a commission free. So, um, uh, but you know, they might create, create a create opportunity for longer term investors or, or fundamental investors who go in there and, you know, start um, taking advantage of some of that, maybe um, an experience. Mm -hmm. but there's one interesting thing I thought might be that might come good out of it. And it's because as, as all these firms start, you have, now you have zero commission, what are you going to be able to compete on now? Right. Maybe it's service, maybe it's information, maybe, right. maybe there's better information now for the retail investor in the long run over time. Maybe more OTC stocks available? Well, I, yeah. well, I don't <laughs> know if Robinhood tra actually trades more market cap companies. I think they might restrict that to some degree. So only again, hips, bad for, <laughs> again, bad for like us again. Yeah. That <laughs> but what was it? And for full disclosure. Hell. <laughs> okay, all right, just making sure. I like my money. I love how both of those things have gone up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but, but this is what I'm not buying, though. I mean, I think, I think um, uh, Schwab says, hey, we're doing this because we want to improve the experience for our customers. Hell no. They're, they're losing. They're, they're, they see the market share as an issue here. E-Trade has been around, I think, for, what, 20-some years or 35 years, maybe? Mm -hmm. They only have about 4 million accounts. Right. But great commercial. Robinhood already has four million. So this is all about wait, we, we were oh yeah, this is gonna hurt, this is gonna hurt. Last second, oh it hurt us. I bet you the top ten percent in E-Trade will match that four million. Yeah. <laughs> for, 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 well, yeah, but right now. I mean I wonder if a million or might just be in crypto, but hey, I, I, we yeah, digress. Just <laughs> Google does not make you an investor. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, if they have if, if you if they start allowing us to trade my air caps and they had great tools. Yeah, I, no, could, I could definitely see myself using that platform at some mm -hmm. point if the executions were great and everything. Right. They do have the, 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 the data is really good, I think, on Robinhood. They have some interesting data. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sam, Sam, what do you think? But, but, but that's how they make money, right? They're, they, they're, it's not really free. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? right? So right. they make money by creating market and right. the, levels of. Yeah, they don't give you the trade. best execution. Right. right, so that's mm -hmm. that's the issue. So you pay for it one way or another, yeah. um, and I think it's you probably pay for it more in a microcap stock. I'm guessing. I'm not 100 percent sure. How Patience, that works, bro. But, the trade will be executed. Um, but, but but I think it actually makes more. <laughs> so I just wanted to go back to a topic Chris brought up about super voting shares, and I actually think that there is some value to them in terms of you know when you when you are public, because your investors are thinking so short term. If you have so super voting shares, you, you can you know you can kind of avoid that noise in the short term and still have control and not have like an activist come and say, oh, you should sell this asset, when in the long term it'll be ben more beneficial for shareholders to hold on to that asset. And I think that in this, this topic also creates more short-termism, short like mm -hmm. Raj says, and especially if microcaps, small caps are allowed to trade you know, on these platforms that are free. Mm -hmm. um, it, I think it just creates more swings mm -hmm. um, in the stock, both down and up, and I mm -hmm. think that creates more opportunity to someone who actually studies the values of companies and sees that something go really far out of whack in one direction versus the other. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think generally though, like to give, more, give people more options and more visibility, because there's a lot of people who just can't, who don't have that much money, and if you charge five or $8 on a trade and they wanna have, I don't know, $1,000 in stocks, like that actually hurts them big time. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that it kind of gives them access to some degree, even though it'll be riskier for them, is is dangerous, but 
Um, I mean, that's the type of stuff I think the SEC may, <laughs> should go after and be like, hey, if you're going to be on these platforms, then um, I don't know, maybe it'll move the platforms. I think we had a, we were talking about it before about there being a different, um, what were we talking about? Uh, at the, no, the, the yeah. conference. Oh, when, on the call we were talking about the uh, the long-term stock exchange. Yeah. Just these new these new uh, just exchanges really popping up yeah. that are trying to bring on more listings in a more different way. You know, the the idea being that uh, we all play a different game on the same field. So the idea of wanting to play the same game on the same field, I remembered it. And, and I think I think this could lead to this. I think, <laughs> uh, commission free <laughs> trade could lead to something like that. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sir. That's okay. But I think it could lead more, it'll be more likely to lead to something like that type of platform or trading, mm -hmm. trading platform. Gotcha. So. Chris, your thoughts on the topic? Terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible idea, dude. I mean, look, haven't the brokers suffered enough, dude? I mean, like, they've destroyed this business. And now it's like, well, now that I've kicked you in the balls and... You know, taking your wad and your fake Rolex watch, I'm going to take out your gold tooth as well. I mean, look, I just don't like I think, I don't like it. I don't like it because I have a lot of friends who are obviously in this category now. They're going to, now, I mean, business was already almost non-existent, now it's dead. So, I'm, of course, I'm biased and I don't want to get into the topic. Fair enough. But I don't think it's a good idea. Fair enough. Anybody, anybody else have a comment on, on this topic before we move on? You know what I learned, you guys? Oh, okay. If you mention any company, by law, he has to say for full disclosure to your audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about reciting the Dow 30 news. <laughs> Chris, I've been doing interviews with you for eight years. Uh, not, yeah, not, Please, for the love of God, do not do that. <laughs> no, no, recite the LD Micro Index companies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so... My next question is, uh, there is actually another podcast that just came out from the, the Stansbury uh, Investor Hour podcast. Oh, that was I listen to every week. Oh, I know you do. Yeah, <laughs> That's why yeah. you're very, I'm going to go to you on this. So, <laughs> so they, the episode was titled, How to Tell if Companies Are Lying. So now I'm like, oh, so in microcaps, <laughs> this is crucial. So what are some of the tells for you guys? Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, look at Chris <laughs> hiding underneath the desk. <laughs> For those listening to the audio version, Chris is now under the desk. So, Sam, let's go to you first. I asked Chris what he thinks, who uh -huh. he thinks tells the truth, and who he oh, thinks lies. <laughs> no, if I and knew I do that, the, I wouldn't be here. And I do the exact opposite. What I try to do is you, you try to find multiple different sources who would potentially know the same information. So as mm -hmm. long as they all kind of match the story, mm -hmm. um, it helps. That's, that's really the best way. It's kind of just like doing, doing like a crime investigation. Right. That's kind of how I think about it. Um, the other thing is just generally like go back and look at their past history, see what they've done in the past. And yeah. you know, like, I mean, you could even do like criminal background search, searches mm -hmm. on people. Um, mm -hmm. And just like, you, generally like if someone, like if a CEO has built a successful microcap company in the past and sold it, you know, generally, you can have more confidence in that, and sure. they're probably more likely to tell the truth. And usually, there's promoters who, you know, always tell you something's happening, and they overpromise and underdeliver consistently. That's a good way. I've got a great um, tip. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I generally like people who underpromise and overdeliver. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I look at it. Got it. That was underpromise and overdeliver. 
Yeah. 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 Okay. I like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like over promises. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're going short. Yes. <laughs> Unless you're going short. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said there. Um, look, I I like to really drill management as much as I can for as long as I can. So for the last company, for example, I I just recently um, had Bob bought. I might have I must have interviewed the CFO and CEO separately. I like to do that. Um, at least six, seven times. Cross examination. <laughs> yeah. Are they answering the Are they answering the same way? Um, you know, if they. You start learning things, like, like you know, looking, keeping your journal again. Um, as you exp um, uh, see what they said in the past, c compare conference call transcripts to press releases. You know, one of the best areas to look at is in the SEC filings, the liquidity section, where they talk about they have to raise money. If he's mm -hmm. telling you on the phone they don't have to raise money, and all of a sudden, and he's telling you, <laughs> you, <laughs> you say, oh, wait, wait, you just said you had to raise money in this document, but you're saying you don't. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. So you're just trying, like, just, it's, it's like a chess game, man. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then you also learn, you know, keep that journal of those management teams that have lied to you in the past. Mm -hmm. And so you, and you understand that, and, and that. My book is deep. <laughs> it's deep. Yeah. And it's like crime and punishment. That's how big it is. Yeah, I had one guy, I, I, I was interviewing him, and it was a SaaS company, and an email marketing company, and he was, we, we were, the stock was selling at like incredible low valuation, and it just turned out the CEO was just, you know, he, he had gone through three or four different already turnarounds, the same CEO, and failed every time. And everything he was telling me about this next turnaround, I just didn't believe any of it, and they ended up mm -hmm. going I down. He still has a job after the fifth generation. Yeah, it was, that's crazy, right? Yeah, he did, you know, so didn't even know anything about his margins. So you know, so how tight are they? How tight is that management team on the, on the, everything you're asking them? Got it. And you, you, you start you get to learn these things over time. Right. All right. So Chris, what what, what are some of your thoughts? You were on our if conference too. If the dude too, has so. a mustache, we're probably not making anybody. <laughs> 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 Wait, any mustache? I mean, even listen, the twirl up I'm and the twirl down. Listen, right hair going to zero. Okay, I'm, I'm just I don't know what it is. Just, just look. There, the big question here is: Is it someone being dishonest, mm -hmm. or someone being overly confident? Right. Okay. Because if you can tell me, it's like, Chris, can you deadlift 400 pounds? I go, absolutely, okay? But if I fail, was that me lying to you, or was that me just being unsuccessful? Mm. So you have to, I don't think anyone, well, I gotta be careful, because we're in microcap. I don't think most people would be dishonest for the sake of being dishonest. Mm -hmm. They just have uh, something in their head that they feel that they can achieve, and they don't. Mm -hmm. In the end, as an investor, if they fail, you fail too. So exactly what these guys said, and I think culturally they're really good at it, okay, culturally, because we cross-examine relatives all the time. All the time. <laughs> I was like, where were you last week? Oh, the 7-Eleven. The one on Pico or Lincoln? Mm, okay. So, <laughs> sorry, that was a little joke for all SoCal. Our LA people. Yeah, that's right. South Santa Monica, Raisa. Right, right Let's go back. So going back to this, you have to. What I have learned, without giving any secrets, because there's some very influential people in this room, very, without giving any secrets, the trick is you want to go to the bottom of the totem pole and you want to go to the top of the totem pole. And you want to see where there's a disconnect. There are very, very few companies, okay, that have been aligned from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that anytime there's a lot of synergy there or where everyone's kind of gung-ho about something, uh, you're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that most of the companies in microcap are really relying on one or two or three things to happen 
to be very successful. Mm -hmm. And they can ultimately factor the percentages of success incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So the, the story is, there was one very prominent hedge fund manager in San Francisco that told me, well, how do you know those are the percentages that they're gonna have in being successful? And the reality is, what the CEO or CFO are expecting and what the actual reality is, is a far different number. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason why there's been so many microcaps that have not been successful. Mm -hmm. They just did not factor the risk or they were overconfident in thinking that that deal was gonna get done. Right, got it. I mean, my, so before we get to the q and I had one follow-up to this question, and that has to be, you know, we, we there's a lot of work, obviously, that goes into really assessing management and if they're capable of really recognizing even more shareholder value. But at what point do you have to kind of stop yourself? You're like, you know what? I think I did enough due diligence on this. Now it's time to make a decision. Does that ever stop? Or, I, I mean, you guys have been doing it a long time, so I'm sure you have your, you have your quick ways of telling, like, okay, yeah, no. It's the comfort that you feel within. Gotcha. You know, one litmus test that most executives fail is do I, would I trust you with my housekeeping? Mm -hmm. That's a hard one. Very mm -hmm. few people pass that. Mm -hmm. Not even my own father qualified for that <laughs> test. But that's, that's the thing. It becomes, a, it becomes a trust factor. Is do you, based on all your knowledge and understanding, would you trust these guys with your money? Another tip that people may use is, you know, would you buy this, you know, whatever investment you're making, would you buy this entire company if you, if you had the money at this, at this specific market cap? Mm -hmm. So for me, whenever that's a yes, you know, with a lot of our companies right now, $30 million for buy the entire thing if I had control? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's another way. But again, mm -hmm. everyone has a different way of getting there. You yeah. can't, all three of us are going to be completely different on this. Yeah. Sam? Um, I think it's, it's going back to just like performance. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. are they able to perform well? And those, those CEOs or executive teams I end up never talking to again. I just own shares and I, hold, I own them for a long time because mm -hmm. they understand capital allocation and that just creates huge value over time and as time goes on time is on your side mm -hmm. and so those are the best companies that you just kind of own you you hope you hope to get in at the right price but sometimes mm -hmm. you don't even care mm -hmm. what price you pay for those companies um and then just like kind of an antidote portfolio manager in new york once told me that he would never invest in a ceo that has expensive jewelry <laughs> on <laughs> and then he would also never expect so i i don't I, I don't look at this stuff but and he would also never expect uh, invest in a company with a CFO who was very overweight because he said because uh -oh. he, he said that if they couldn't control their appetite how could they control the dude this dude is also heavy how can you say that shit this is just plastic this is plastic so he, uh, that just shows you like the, the type of stuff people look <laughs> at you know and think about and uh, you know what like Chris said, he trust, how, whether you trust someone with the keys to their house and it's like that's how, how do you quant there's no way to quantify yeah. that um, that's just the feeling he gets. But what Chris does that I think is what, what Chris what Chris <laughs> what Chris taught me that like one of the times I visited a company with him, Chris talks I, to everyone at the company. Mm -hmm. He'll talk to the janitor all the way to the CEO. I like the and, janitor and, more than I like the CEO. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what I've learned is that like people like the secretary, uh, like admin assistant, things like, like the gatekeepers are really the ones that hear everything that goes on in the mm -hmm. office. So mm -hmm. I found it really good to like generally befriend them. Mm -hmm. And um, you just never know. Like you, when when you call, like they'll they'll help you get to the CEO a little easier, or just get little things like that, little tidbits. Like you can sense their their mood, and that's the other thing when it comes to management as well too. Like once you've talked to someone a lot, you can kind of get a sense. Like are they excited when you talk about the business? Does it get them excited and happy, or are they like, no, oh, they don't really feel like talking about it as much? And there, it's like once you have that kind of base level of where 
someone's like attitude and emotions are, mm -hmm. then you could you could somewhat use that to some degree as to like where they are in their in their business life, I guess, in a way. Mosh, your quick take on this? Yeah, I mean, um, one of the first questions I like to ask, you know, the management team is, you know, what have you gone through in the past that you where you failed and, and met that challenge, and how you've come, how you succeeded from it, how you come from it. And the more I like investing in companies that have gone through trouble, you know, had 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 to meet those I had to um, you know meet those challenges, and they came out okay with it. Um, that lead, that's another thing in their journal that they've learned. Mm -hmm. And the more of that I see in, in some of these teams, I, I love that. And that gives me the conversation, they're not always going to be right. I'm going to probably hold one of these companies that's going to have a misstep. Mm -hmm. And I want to be confident that I'm, I, can, I can trust that they'll be able to drive the ship after it, that. I, I like that point. Hold on real quick, Sam. The, I love that point because I was actually just at a conference recently in, in a presentation. And one of my favorite things I saw a CEO do in one of the presentations was if everything were to fail, you know, what, what are some of the risk factors that would actually lead to that? And they did that in their public presentation. I thought that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. at, you know? at what point, Maj, are you, do, you, do you think, though, like, they keep failing well, <laughs> over well, and well, over well, and over and over. Let me really retool that. I don't want, like, ten failures. Okay. But, for example, <laughs> how, how, many, how many in a row? Is it three strikes and you're out? It's like, <laughs> I, like, I like to see. Like, well, the, the, some of my favorite ones are I, I, to invest in a company that's just recent. So, Cast Medical, C A S M, it was bought out earlier this year. Yeah, Cast Medical, yeah. I was at your, your, your conference, right? I found yeah, it, yeah. Course, yeah. And then it was a Data Watch, or was it WCH? Yeah. yeah that, the, was, uh, that was kind of a right, We, got a full, yeah. we have a few disclosures that it, we have to I don't make. Know, they're, they're taking out. They're yeah, 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 out. Yeah, just making sure. So, you know, do you understand um, the change they made to, to, to create success? Yeah. And no, I don't, if, look, if I interviewed a team and they've had two or three problems, I'm probably not going to invest in the company. But for example, when I found those two companies um, or came across them, they, they, at your conference, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you a plug. Um, it, it was a situation where the, he, had, he, had, he admitted that he, he was basically overpromised when he first came to the company and that he didn't anticipate things. But then, you know, he proved that he got there. Took a while, but he got there, and um, didn't make any mistakes. That many mistakes on the way after that first take. Mm -hmm. So I was really confident in the company at that point. But so things like that. But um, if the first example I gave, the other example I gave you earlier about the SaaS company, he's gone. He got to three, four, five. So I, I didn't invest in the company. Right. So it's about it's about that. I wouldn't if if I seen two or three failures. But but you're also a value guy, right? So like Data Watch, for instance. I, I don't I didn't follow it too well, but my understanding it was much higher at one point. Well, and, no, I, it, and I don't know what happened, but no, some, the, the he, he made a mistake or whatever, right? And it got cheap enough where then it got acquired. And if it never got that cheap, it probably wouldn't have been acquired, right? Well, Data Watch, I mean, he sold out was, though. this was the D and LV Micros, one of his largest yeah. positions, one of the most long-term positions. This was a $3, 4 stock for over 15 years. And then they basically caught lightning in a bottle and it became a SaaS company. It went from 3 to 30 and everyone had these like illusions of grandeur and mm. none of them materialized and you sold the stock the right six, seven, eight months this year. I don't mm. remember what the exact number was, but it wasn't anywhere near the all-time high. 13 bucks, I think it was 13, yeah, 14 bucks. Yeah, yeah. So look, I mean, again, I think everything that these guys mentioned is, is on point. I mean, there's there's a little physical tells that you can tell every here, uh, here and there, but I think a lot of it is just uh, conversations. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, it's like a first date, a second date, a third date, a fourth date. Someone actually taught me about that. It's like. You know, in terms of interest level, in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of energy, in terms of things that were said that were, you know, kind of, uh, it's not the same thing anymore. Um, but it, all it is is a lot of homework. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and the, I, you know what I, I think that I've been trying to do more often that's been actually hard is try to talk to more board members. Mm, right. You know, because board always likes to hide under the, you know, under the curtains. I'd love to bring them out. Come on out. I'd love to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And it's just very interesting to see, bless you, I just love to hear kind of their perspectives and what they think about certain people, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Got it. All right, so we're at that point where I want to get some Q&A from our audience members. So does anybody have a question for any of our panelists? Please say no so we can all go to the <laughs> Wow. Question from the audience was, how often do you make investment decisions based on the fear of missing out? FOMO. Um, I I would say that like if any of us said we never did that'd be a lie lie. right and I think we try never to Um, in in, in reality the way I see it myself is that I think that um, especially I find I think like I don't know if you talk about it much but like info arbitrage where you find a company puts out a press release or they have a quarter or they say something on their conference call and you're like well that should have like moved the stock in a way, exactly. um, or, 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 or to me, right it, it moves the valuation of, this, of the company, you know, predominantly higher, mm-hmm. and it just, just doesn't move the stock. There, I feel like I get, I try to get in quick, more quickly, and that's out of FOMO of you know having being forced to having pay a higher price later for for the same company. So, um, but sometimes I'm wrong. Like I've had instances where I find a company that has a hidden asset, and like <laughs> like and, and like one of them just recently sold. And it didn't move <laughs> at all. It's massive. It's buried with all the lights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, I still don't get it. I, I, I'm like, at some point, I think like maybe they have to show that they have a gain on their next quarter. Maybe I don't know. But like, I've been holding the stock for like three years, hoping that they will sell this asset. They just sold it, and I thought I thought they would get like five bucks a share for it. They end up getting two fifty. Right. The stock's at nine, and it hasn't moved. Yeah, because so. nobody left too. You know, after a while, people just get sick and tired, and they go to other places. Mm. I mean, but they're going to get cash. It's going to show on the balance sheet. They're going to pay off a lot of debt. So at some point, I'm hoping, right. you know, now I hope I, I see the light in the tunnel potentially. Um, but I mean, that, I, I went, I was like three years early on that investment because of FOMO to some degree, you know, so. Very little, uh, but it's like one of those things where you go to like a casino in Vegas and, you know, you look at a horse, it's like, man, that's a nice horse. It's a beautiful tail. I'll put five bucks on it. Let's see what happens. So it's more of a spur of the moment thing. But ever since I've been married and had a child, uh, less so, less so. I just I just see myself being tighter with these things. And usually, when it comes to that stuff, it's it's very hard to predict. You know when you're going to sell it to. So that's why I usually right. don't, don't don't get involved. <laughs> yeah, Maj. Yeah, I find that you know I, I do a lot less of it than I had done in the past. When I was in the '90s, I I owned like three four hundred stocks. So that's FOMO. <laughs> yeah, but right, but, 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 I read Peter Lynch's book. Yeah, it's cool, but because he he was the same way. But now I own a lot. You know, probably yeah. <laughs> less than twenty stocks now, maybe or maybe th- less than thirty stocks. But you know, it's natural to have that kind of um, desire to do that. And I found it to be a lot of times a zero sum game for me. So I, I try and do a lot less and um, really put more money in great stocks that I think are going to do well long term. The one thing that I've tried to like. Um, learn from FOMO, like the opposite of it, is that if you sell something too early and it keeps getting more expensive, I, I try, I don't get as upset as I used to that it got more, that it, right. the stock went up afterwards and right. I didn't hold on longer. Because um, you made some initial money. Yeah. Always and I'm, yeah. And so, but it feels good. But I mean, like, I don't know, like Taser, for instance, right? <laughs> Back in the day, like, 
if you sold it at what you thought was like a reasonable valuation, but then it went way, way, way past that, right? And so there's some people who, you know, can hold it longer and they're willing to hold it longer and good, to the, good for them. But for me, it's like once it hits what I truly believe a company is worth, then I'm okay selling it um, or, or a little bit premium to what they're worth. Right. So, and I do not own Taser or what is it now called? Yeah, it's Axon. Axon, uh, I do not own Axon. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, those, those guys, look, I was, uh, all I can say about the Taser guys, the Smiths, uh, they did a great job. I mean, this was a $12, $15 million market cap back in 2002, and it's now several billion, so hats off to them. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was kind of interesting. I saw them at CES once, and they were literally wearing NASCAR uniforms. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this was like their MO. So look, if you have a bad idea, make sure you keep that bad idea to yourself. They made every one of their staff wear these NASCAR uniforms. And I was like, why the hell are they doing this? It's like, well, is the guy, the guy who was working there like, I don't know, but I know that it's a, it's a legitimate tax write-off if, if you have dry cleaning and it's your uniform as opposed to something else. So look how advanced they're thinking. <laughs> that they would wear something that gaudy is, just because that they is know beyond. that it's going to be And full disclosure purposes, I never verified whether that was true. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good story to tell. That is good. So uh, we got time for one more question. Anybody? I like this idea of independent verification when a CEO tells you something and you, you know, get the scuttlebutt from you know, the janitor or whatever, sort of verify, hey, what they said. That's actually true. So. Um, when you're trying to do that, but you're looking at a company that has maybe some complicated technology or something that's way out of your realm of understanding, how do you know how much research to do and when do you say enough, I don't understand everything about this industry or company, but I'm just going to trust that the experts, what they're telling me is there. Maybe there's just billions of dollars of tangible market and yeah, actually we're going to get it because this technology is awesome. So straight up, most disruptive technology in microcap. Hold on, Brock. Give me a shortened version of that question. <laughs> How much is enough due diligence on complicated business or technology? How? One more time. How much is? How, how do you verify when it's like extremely complicated or extremely right. tech savvy like a, in, in something that you don't understand? Is this question like a biotech or a medtech or a tech? Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. I mean, you really can't. It's a shot in the dark. A lot of this is just based off historical context. So what I've learned, you know, being a microcap investor since 1996, is almost all forms of disruptive technology have failed, and maybe one or two of them have come out of the gate. So what I would, what I do with any disruptive technology is I simply buy less of it, and in the process of buying less, I spend more time doing due diligence to see if what these guys believe is going to happen actually does happen. But that's the, I mean, that's, that's the risk that you take as an investor. Why do you think mm -hmm. restaurant stocks are the most popular companies at our conference? Because at a restaurant, even though it's, it's kind of a crappy business, you can taste it. You can go sit down. Uh, the, the level of understanding is, is not that bad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and when you mention experts, I mean, experts have been, experts are wrong more than they're right. So for me, at least, the, the, when it comes to this stuff, the, the, the indicator that I look for is who are they partnering up with, okay? So we have a private company, uh, you know, uh, and right off the gate, they've done less than 10 million revenue, but Samsung is a partner, okay? Uh, you know, the largest foundry in China is a partner. Uh, you know, the second richest man in Malaysia 
is an investor. So you kind of look at that and say, well, look, I mean, these guys, look at their access, look at, look at their track record. That's how I kind of go about it. But it's a really good question. I mean, it's hard to fathom. But, but those guys, even though they're like a partner, right, it's such a small dollar amount to them that they could care, like, right. if they're that's completely that, wrong, it does, doesn't move the needle for them but whatsoever. But let me tell you what I learned, because I'm, I'm a huge reader of Barron's. I think that everyone should read it. There was this, uh, this woman who was managing a med tech fund, and she had outperformed 99% of her peers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but she said the one area that she spent most of her time was, was on Facebook forums, <laughs> where people are using all these new technologies and, and kind of getting a feel for, for how they're living or whether it's helped them, hurt them, you know, uh, blips on the road, things of that nature. So I'm sure that no matter what your specialty is, there's going to be something online that kind of really kind of is only focusing on that technology or that or that you know uh, or that specificity. So that's just try to get try to get it as close to the source as you can without touching it. That's my advice. Mosh? Yeah, I, I, that's great great stuff there. And I just think if, if it's if it's if it's too complicated at some point, I'm just not going to look anymore. And I think that's really the key. How, how deep, how much can you understand the business where you feel comfortable and understand there will be unknowns? And um, I think a lot of that is really, we're trying to understand everything about the a company, how, how they make the product, or how they sell the service, how the customer um, you know, reacts with the company, engages with the company, how, 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 they, how companies get their contracts, who they deal with. So all these things are really important. And if you don't understand all those little parts of it, you, um, the more you don't understand, the more risk you, you get yourself into. So I really try to, um, there's so many stocks out there that there's enough we can understand, really. And you, you know, what, what he said about you know, going to the internet, and there's so much great stuff on the internet. You can really do a really, you can, you, can learn, you can learn so much about a company you had nothing, you had, did not know you, 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 you could ever think you would be buying. No, my allocation of time is one of the greatest things that you can have. And it's, it's, it's really an art form. So I think a lot of it is just directly correlated with how long it'll take you to get the answer that you want. And how, and how obsessed you are about it, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Is that, so I think we're about to wrap up here. Before we go, uh, where can our audience go and find more information about each of you? Sam, start off with you and your social media. Uh, Go to ridgewoodinvestments.com. You can email me, Sam. What's your Instagram handle? Yeah, what's your Instagram handle? S. Namiri. At S. Namiri. I didn't even know you had one. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting into it. And then, uh, yeah, email me, Sam at ridgewoodinvestments.com. Uh, that's pretty much it. Cool. Look, please don't contact me. <laughs> I got enough oh, they're, on oh, they're my your first yeah, I'm not telling you. I'm not even telling you my website. No? <laughs> LDmicro.com. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, no, please. Yeah. Just. You, can't, you cannot come to the event this year. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's some reverse psychology. Yeah, no, no, no. That's good. That's good. There's no reverse psychology. Tell them they can't come. No one's invited. No one else. <laughs> <laughs> the web is my website. Um, my email is mosh at geoinvesting.com. And um, it's a premium website where we offer research to our members for a fee. Uh, Twitter handle is... At Mosh Geoinvesting, I think, yeah. At Mosh Geoinvesting. And Investing. he also serves as the Sunday DJ at the local barbecue <laughs> here in Austin. It's true. I hope you brought your guitar. It's been a record. All right, guys, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this panel today. I really do appreciate it. And again, to the hosts of the Microcap Rodeo, the Issuer Direct team, as well as uh, Wiley, Rod, and Evan. So again, guys, thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast. And thank you, Maj, Chris, and Sam again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast. Go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast or on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the Microcap Review Magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.